0: Thank you so much for joining us once again on Growing Up on Death Row at 17, back here with Brian Settings. How you doing today, Brian?
1: I'm good. I'm good. David, how you doing today? Doing
0: great. Doing great. Just before we get started, want to let the folks know we got a new YouTube release that came out yesterday, which was June the 27th. Today's the 28th. So go to YouTube and look at all of the videos that we've put up, as well as go to our GU O-D-R-17 at Gmail to get all of our podcasts, all 30, I think this is make 32 when we release it. So got a lot of good content out there for you all to listen to and hit us up and let us know what you think. And if you have any ideas, also hit us up because we're always looking to broaden our horizons in terms of guests, also in terms of speaking engagements. If you want to have Brian come speak, it will cost you, but we will do it will show up <laughs> to be negotiated. But anyway, let's move on to all the topics of the day, my man. What would you like to discuss?
1: Oh, man, this is basically a trail off the abandonment kids, man. Basically a part two. Part two, uh, okay. After, yeah. After doing this essential study and, and understanding the thing, and I even went so far to talk to my psychiatrist, and I want to talk to other people that's actually in the field of understanding the child development mindset and how that people are able to adapt to situations without knowing the consequences.
0: Okay. All right. So just to back up part one, for anyone who didn't listen to it, you encountered some young ladies who basically roamed the streets, of foster kids who either left home or been kicked out because of different circumstances. And uh, you befriended some of them. And uh, this is more of an understanding of Where they got to where they are now, basically, is what you're saying, correct?
1: Correct. It was understanding with me that basically when I was released from prison after serving 31 years for a crime I didn't commit, I know it was very, me, it was very hard for me to go around my grandkids, uh, kids, uh, you know, people that you care about, man, because of the type of characteristic that you inherited while you were in prison and the mindset of everything that you understand in prison, basically violent, just a simple greed turn to a killer if the person in fear you greeted on the right way. So we basically inherited characteristics within the Department of Correction. For well, all those who don't know, the Department of Correction had came up with a policy over twenty five years ago called "Control Movement." They actually use child psychology to control those guys, and that's where all the anger comes from because they know they' grown men, but they be using child psychology to train them into a space mentally to where they can't get out of.
0: A lot of times, from what I see, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but they belittle you quite often, make right. you feel less than a man, almost a lot of times less than a human being.
1: Right, and that's on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And not only that, the reason why the child psychology come in, that David, is that now you go to prison, and from my understanding, when I was in prison and what I seen on a daily basis. Most of the guards, 18 and 19 years old. This is where the child psychology come in at. But did nobody understand why they was hiring 18 to 19-year-old COs at the prison that was telling grown men that was in their 40s and 50s that they can't go outside. They can't get taller paper. They can't do this. And this turned into a big old war within the Department of Correction where people actually was getting into it with other people about the way these guards were talking to people
0: if I'm understanding this right, 17, 18, 19, even a 20-year-old definitely does not have the mental capacity to tell a grown man what to do. But I guess in thinking with the control movement, basically bringing the prisoners down
1: to that CO's level. Right. His his or her way of thinking. right. Right, right. See, the control movement is basically based off the fact that Anywhere you want to go in the Department of Correction, you got to ask. You can't go outside. You can't have more than five people at a table. You can't have more than five people congregating, talking to each other. You can't have more than five people playing cards. I mean, this is called control movement. That means that they control everything you do. They lock you down. They bring canteen to your cell. They slide your trade through a chuck hole. You don't refuse to trade it through there. And they give these guys this ability and they limit their ability to where they only can think and go so far mentally because see that was one of the reasons why they took education out of prison. But before they took education out of prison, I was able to get my GED and my first college year
0: mm-hmm.
1: before they took it out because they saying that most of the guys that was getting out of prison when I entered prison at that time nineteen ninety they had degrees and scholarships and building cars, attorneys. I mean, they was coming out taking over, taking jobs, you know what I'm saying? Because they had that chance to study and develop a mindset to where they can advance in life, you know what I'm saying? Even though they know they've been to prison, but they understood their mistakes. So now they didn't educate themselves for When they did get out of prison, they were making damn it $20, $25 an hour and jobs. Mm-hmm. And most of these guys are still successful. So uh, it came to this thing called Control Movement because the government made a statement back in 1995 that they would educate the criminals to where that these criminals were getting out, committing these crimes, but still was having bond money, still having jobs, been taken care of. They saying they would make the criminals more educated. So they snatched education out of the uh, Department of Correction. There's no there education in the Department of Correction. If you don't have one when you go there, you definitely ain't going to have one when you get back out. You know, there is nothing to give you rehabilitation. That's the prison built on rehabilitation. There is nothing. So this is why controlled movement is so serious, because now you can't elevate. And what I mean by that, the person's mind cannot elevate to a point where they can also do their prison time or take co- college classes and courses to where they help them educate and keep them healthy mentally. Because, see, once you go bad mentally and you're not healthy mentally no more, Everything to you is a threat. Right. Everything to you is a fight. Everything to you is an argument. And I noticed a lot of guys that got out of prison when I was 17, when I was put in prison for a crime I didn't do. Most of these guys got out. They didn't serve 5, 10, 15 years, David. And got out, had kids. Or if they didn't have kids, they might have met a girlfriend that had kids. And they actually took that role of the male-dominant person in their family to where they feel that, though, okay, they don't have a father since I love their mother. I'm going to hold myself responsible for raising these kids. Right. But see, the trick of it is what they didn't know. And honestly, David, I didn't know either. I had to actually study this for like two or three weeks before I can even come on live to even tell you about it. You know what I'm saying? Because the same thing I finna talk about that happened to these guys, it happened to me too. But I never had the chance to see my grandkids or sit around them and give them these type of impressions. I stayed to myself and isolated myself. And I think that's where I turned out better than these guys did. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, and most of these guys got out and they actually taught these kids and raised these other people's kids. And they could have been their children, David. At five, six, seven, eight, nine years old, they're getting out of prison and raising these kids and teaching these kids responsibilities and teaching these kids understanding, teaching these kids how to be charitable. These ain't another thing that these kids was taught. Basically, they were taught to the limit themselves. The father was so used to being controlled in prison, that controlled movement, they adapted the ways without even knowing it. So when they got out of prison and they raised these kids, they limited these kids' thoughts without them even knowing it. Mm-hmm. Without Bob even knowing it. I don't think no man would actually intentionally limit a child's thought if he knew what he was doing. You know what I'm saying? But these are the things that we adapt to when you're in prison. They was giving kids shortcomings. And what I mean by that is instead of encouraging the child to go to college or turn the child and let the child know they can go farther in life just by education and just by giving the energy and that effort and that endurance to keep going forward in life they took that away from hmm. they limit they let them know you only can go so far in life if you go try to do this job another person that's better you're gonna take your position or if you try to you claim my living room this way but that ain't the way you do it. You know what I'm saying? You're supposed to do it this way. And after doing a child like that for so many years, man, basically they indoctrinated that child to where that child now suffers from the same mentality they suffer from institutionalized thinking. And this is the problem that's going on with the kids now today because these little girls that we did the first segment about, the oldest one, David, probably wasn't older than 13. The youngest, I can say, is nine. nine. But and the she one can't that caught my attention—her
0: food stamp card—that's
1: the one, right? Right. That caught now. That will really caught my attention, and I was like, what are you talking about?" And then I come to find out that these kids that I was talking to actually was trained mentally by these foster parents, and that's one of the most dangerous things in the world, man. When you taking girls, black these black girls, mm-hmm. putting them in foster homes with families that got over nine kids already. These kids are not going to get no type of attention. They're not going to elevate. they only going to suffer mentally. And that's why we call it institutionalized thinking, because once they get in there, they're not going to get the attention. They're not going to get the support that they look for within a family structure. And little girls told me at 9 to 10 that they was actually babysitting little babies that was like, Two and three years old, that was also brought into the house. So when it was time for them to get their type of comfort, they was told to go park her up. I was like, what does that mean? And the little girl said, basically, they were telling them to go suck dick. Crazy. But it's crazy. crazy. But that's not their child. And that's one thing we got to understand. Putting foster kids in homes that's not their real mother and father but the real mother and father that have kids, they're going to make sure they dominate over their kids first. Oh, The one that yeah, they, they take, take be care, well taken care of. care of, yeah. Right. Right. And the one that they taking care of, they're going to dog them out, man. And not only that, the little girl said they was also left at houses. And the mother leaves like two or three days. They were left with the father. And you know what type well, he, of... He's there
0: molesting him. on them and doing things go. like there that. There or go. make
1: having yes, them do things to him. Yeah. Right, right, right. But the girl told me he was using it as a reward. David, see, that's the type of that's the type that's the type of stuff that I was when I did the interview with them. That's the type of stuff they was telling me that they was getting paid. The foster people was getting paid to take care of these girls, mm-hmm. but in order for them to get what they want, they had to do other things. And the money that was using to take care of them was used as a reward after they did whatever the father needed them to do
0: that's crazy
1: maybe it's sexually maybe it's not i don't really know but most of it was sexually when i was talking to the little girl and
0: so they're stuck between a rock and a hard place because they got nowhere to go they don't have any skills they haven't been taught to want more in life so they just basically give up
1: they give up and not in the system yeah or they place they self dangerous situations to where you have guys like... Uh, remember the girl I was telling you about that had for the food stamps? Right. It was her sister. Her sister was like 13. And I actually walked up on this guy trying to proposition her $40 for sexual activity. Man, let me tell you something. When I got through checking this nigga ass, Dave, he ain't never even looked at them girls way no more. I feel a man... I don't know if it's his dominance or his uh, sexual desire or the way of thinking, but understanding the true mentality of a child. This is something that a lot of people don't take the time out to do. I hate when kids come in the grocery store and I'm working there and they can't get what they want. When they get the crying and all that, I give it to them, Dave, because I was a child myself. It wasn't the fact that I wanted. What I wanted, it was the fact that they see all this stuff. You see what I'm right. saying? And most of this stuff is tailor made for kids to react to because of the colors, the designs, and the nature. And I had to explain that to some parents in the store. Even though I came out of my pocket and bought it for them, it was my reason to understand that why I bought it for them. And I also let them know that the situation that y'all actually put your child in when they enter this type of environment like this, you know what I'm saying? Right. And she was like, Well, we'll give you the right to understand somebody as child. I say, I'm not understanding your child. I understand the characteristics of your child. And see, that's a total difference. And I understand the characteristics of you, the mother. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Reward this child only when you feel this child did something right, which it could be your teaching. But I'm going to reward them for the simple fact of just waking up and breathing every day. You got to give them something to make them feel that they are important and they are part of your life, no matter what it is or what it costs these things you cannot take to the graveyard with you.
0: It's a matter of giving them some hope.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and the reason I say this, David, and I'm reading, I say this, David, and to be honest with you, I told a lady, I said, I've been in prison since I was a kid for a crime I didn't do. I didn't get out until I was 48 years old. But I was sentenced to die. I was sentenced to never get out of prison again. And lo and behold, they come back 31 years later. Oh, we made a mistake, man. You wasn't supposed to be in prison and all this. But my mentality was that I'll never get out of prison again. So by me giving this second chance to get out of prison, I don't give a fuck who you is. Can nobody tell me that I don't understand life. I understand the real meaning of life. I understand the true essence of life. I understand, man, let me tell you something. I understand life so much to where I don't go club and date. I don't go to Skate King. I don't go to, uh, cl- I don't go to bars. I don't do none of this because that's not living. That's entertainment. Right. Now I don't do no entertainment. That's entertainment. And a friend of mine added, can you go out with me? I'm like, nah. I never give nobody a chance to say I went out to a club and somebody bumped into me and I did this and I end up back in prison. I don't where a motherfucker going to have a problem with me if they come to my doorstep. <laughs> that's it. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? Because I understand. It doesn't matter of keeping yourself out of certain situations. Right. And when you have kids, man, and these girls, I still talk to these girls on a daily basis. Some uh, three of them, through them, I haven't seen in the last few days. I asked the bottom, saying they were back at the foster parent home, but it's three or four of them still hanging out. And I've been trying to understand their mentality, Dave. I didn't even have enough to pay for my rent, Dave. I still gave them the money to go get their clothes, go get them. you asking of it. I enjoy doing it. But at the same time, that's why. I had started this, I got this GoFundMe, we finna get ready call Save the Kids. It's based on, it's not about me. It's not about you, David. It's not about nobody in the inter- entertainment business, man. Everybody sent money over here to Africa 24 hours a day. These same little kids been sitting on these steps since I was three years old. And they still look four years old sitting on these steps, talking about they ain't eating, they just starving. You know what I'm saying? Right. So you still you need tricks. To get money, but we have our own situation over here in the United States, man, to where kids are being killed, abandoned. It didn't got so bad to I read stories with girls who was kidnapped, David, and they actually the organs were taken out of. Them. That's what they do. Cut over soul organs. That's big so money into
0: what,
1: that. Yeah. Yeah. But what do the sacrifice come in and what do the love come in that? What do the mercy? What do the support come in that? I'm saying, why is people being left? Abandoned like this. Why is mothers smoking weed with their kids at 13 to 14 years old? They smoking weed with their children. Grandmamas ain't grandmamas no more, David. Don't nothing exists no more like it was when I grew up. And I, I can't understand it. It's hard for me to understand it. These women out here, it's terrible. I met a lot of women, man, and I still I'm still single. Don't you know be dating nobody because they don't understand life? It's all about. What you can give them, what they can get from you—it's yeah. all about stepping on you. these women, forty-five and fifty years old, talking about what you got to give. I got one on the side. I want mean, you keep that nigga on the side. You know what I'm saying? But the thing over oh, there don't come my way with it because, for one, it shouldn't be this hard in life for nobody. I'm talking about for kids and nobody else, man. And True. I feel it though. At Parent David, we do a good job. We do a good job taking care of ourselves and things of this nature, only because we don't have the desire that other people have clubbing, sick flags. you going all the way over to Nigeria trying to visit another country. You know not I'm saying? That's a third world country. Or that's that. Right. And you ain't got your bills paid. I mean, what is going on in society, man? I'm trying to understand it, Dave. Is it me or just... No, we just th- a-
0: things are backwards. Oh. Our priorities are in the wrong places.
1: That's understandable. But these kids are being left to suffer from this. And the exactly. fathers are very... Right, and the fathers that get released from prison, I'm telling you, mothers, sisters, whoever, pay attention. These people are being institutionalized. And basically, raising your kid just by living with a man in a household that was in prison that had children, that child will watch this man do what he do, will watch this man and try to follow and try to Copy what he do, not knowing this child is being institutionalized by the way this man thinking. His thinking ain't even right. Give yourself two or three years, to let him out of prison before you want to bring a child into his life, because that child gonna end up with mental shortcomings. And it's not gonna be because he knew about it. I'm not saying he's doing it intentionally, but it's something his body and his mind have adapted to when you've been told what to do in prison every day. It's gonna when you've been told,
0: himself.
1: Yeah. Right, right. Right. You got to ask for permission to go to the bathroom. You got to, they let you out for rent start at one o'clock. It's over with at three. You know what I'm saying? Uh, Mm -hmm. Child start at six. You ain't there at about seven o'clock. You don't, you can't eat. So everything had a time limit to it. And these are the same thing they're going to pass on to that child. And not knowing that they're doing it, but mothers need to be mothers. And I'm trying to get y'all to identify with this because I actually suffer from that same mentality. It's just that I didn't bring my kids around me and I still haven't gotten around because I'm not fully adapted to society yet. Even though I've been out two years, I still have a lot of institutionalized thinking. I still get upset when people do certain things or say certain things because in prison, I will react very violently, you know what I'm saying, to a person Mm -hmm. that did anything that I didn't like. But out here in the free world, that ain't how they go. So in order for me to understand other people, man, I have to isolate myself until my mentality comes to a point to where I can actually deal with conversation. I can actually deal with the disrespect that comes out of other people's mouth. And I can learn to walk away instead of violently turning into it and put myself behind the bars gear. Right, right. Okay. Anything else? Yeah, I just want to let everybody know, man, me and David have been on this journey for a long time. And if anybody that's interested in growing up on death row, man, or interested in the stories and the things that me and David offer, man, all these stories are real, all these stories are true. And I'm gonna tell you something. And I never said this to David, man. You know what I'm saying? David is the only guy that's outside of my actual circle that I ever dealt with in my life. And the thing of it is, he's sincere, he loves what he do. And I think we're not gonna bring you nothing but the truth, but I want you to listen, and learn something about me. I'm a very sincere lawyer dude. I'm one of those guys that give everything. I just suffer and take the less while everybody else had the better. Because I know down the line that that the more you take, the more you're going to lose in the end. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm going to understand the little bit that I get from you or anybody else. I'm going to cherish that. But the person that take all, they're going to lose in the end because they ain't going to never be satisfied. Now, if everybody just take the time out and go back all the way to my first podcast, what was the raw section? I rewrote my whole life. If you listen to that first podcast, you can tell how angry I was, how bitter I was. When you go to my next one, you can turn how deceitful and dirty. I talked to my girlfriend about her husband and all that. You can tell the growth that I reached from my first podcast all the way up to my 30 some podcast. And, because I wrote my life. And the thing of it is, I can't say I didn't say this about nobody. I can't say I didn't talk about nobody. Because it's there for on the records for life. So if y'all go to the first session, you can see all the angry I was going through. The second one, the disappointment, the hurt. The third one, the mistrust, the paranoia. The fourth one, my whole life tell your story how I advance all the way up to a speaker with a license so if y'all take the time to follow growing up on death row you'll know yeah i was one of them dirty motherfuckers myself but at the same time that's out of me now but it took a while and i'm giving y'all a story of everybody that been to prison we start off angry but we end peaceful because we learned from our mistakes. and y'all would truly understand that i had changed a whole lot from my first podcast